That is what conferences are supposed to be about, right? Exactly. If you didn't come to do a little schmoozing with vendors, why did you even come? Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman. You have a very forceful handshake, Mr. Coleman. And Greg Thomas. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, your weekly podcast about the largest division of college football. Even as it gets ever so slightly smaller, we welcome you to podcast number 328, season 17, episode 2. It's the podcast for March 31st, 2023. And I'm Pat Coleman, the guy who is apparently just taking teams off of the 2023 Division Three football schedule. More about that to come. I'm Greg Thomas. I am the Around the Nation columnist, and I'm currently the half of this podcast that is keeping the Around the Nation roadshow going. This time, I am dialing in to the recording studio from Denver, Colorado. Since we last convened, Greg, Finlandia announced that it's closing. Not only did they announce that they're closing, they cut off their spring sports practically before they began. We are kind of on the watch, unfortunately, for Birmingham Southern College which is looking like it's not going to get the funding that it wants slash needs in order to reopen in the fall. We expect that perhaps in the first week of April. Greg, to be honest with you, a couple of years ago when we were at 250 Division Three football schools, Frank Rossi said, this is the most they're ever going to be. It's never going to be more than this. And I did not, of course, understand at the time that there would be a worldwide pandemic and that schools would close because of that. I did know somewhere in the back of my head that, you know, somewhere in about the year 2026 or so, we're going to start losing incoming freshmen. But I did not think that we would just immediately go down to what was supposed to be this upcoming year, 241 Division Three football programs. And now we're going to be at 239, it seems most likely. Yeah, we're seeing some of these closures happening Um Quickly, like you said, Finlandia uh, announced that they shutting it down. ASAP, no more sports. And as soon as they're done with this semester, they are. That's it for Finlandia University. We've been following Birmingham and Southern, as you said. Uh, they've been trying to get funding from uh, the state of Alabama to keep their operations going. That has not had positive developments. Sorry to see these things happen. I think Birmingham Southern, the, we've kind of seen the writing on the wall with some of the um, some of the, the coaching attrition and moves that people have been making from that institution to other institutions. Um, not a lot of confidence from uh, employees at Birmingham Southern that uh, that employment might be a long term situation there. So um, sorry to see, you know, these schools go, but something that it, particularly since 2020 we I think we've known that we're going to get uh some of this. Iowa Wesleyan is another one that is on a list. Iowa Wesleyan was in Division 3, got all the way through the provisional process, only took them about 5 years or so and then they immediately went back to the NAIA and they also announced this week that they will not reopen in the fall. Minimal Division Three football impact, although they were on the Westminster, Missouri schedule for this fall. 
I think this is also somewhat related, Greg. I mean, so the SkyAC decided that it's going to start playing football in divisions, and that is because, you know, very similar things, right? Occidental gave up football a couple years ago. Whittier now out of football as well, and the SkyAC is ever-shrinking in terms of football. It is, and I think we were – when Whittier ended their football program, I think we were curious about how the SkyAC was going to solve their scheduling situation how they were going to get a full schedule nine or ten games depending on uh, which school you're talking about and they seem to have gone with a divisional scenario so we're looking at in the sky act now six football playing teams they're going to be divided into two pods of three that will rotate around i guess for balance you're going to do home and home with the two other teams in your pod and you're going to play the other side crossover style one time for a total of seven conference games. And then you're going to get a conference championship game. So I guess we look forward to that. I mean, it's important that uh, teams get an opportunity to schedule who's left Calu Chapman, Claremont mud scripts, University of Laverne, Pomona Pitzer, and University of Redlands. Those are the six teams remaining in the Sky Act for football. And, of course, remember that because of the vote of Division Three members back in January of 2022, that conference of six football teams will get an automatic bid this fall and going forward. The two division names, in case you were wondering out there, if you missed the story. Ooh, on ooh, D- ooh, ooh. Leaders and Legends. It is not Leaders and Legends. It is uh, maybe a little bit better. We're going with the Sun and the Surf divisions, Pat. Sun and Surf. So are the Sun teams the more inland ones and the Surf are more closer to the coast? You know, the thing is, the Skyak is set up. They're not really, nobody's really super coastal. Um, Yeah. I mean, more coastal than, than most places, I guess, like within, you know, 45 minutes of access to the coast. But no, like we're not really, we don't have schools on, you know, Malibu or Long Beach or wherever. Palm Um, Springs. Palm Springs is is definitely sun and no surf. (laughs) Um, um, Yeah, so, but I think that, I, I think they are going to mix and match those divisions every couple of years based on, results and trying to you know create competitive equity there this year pod one the the sky x release doesn't say whether this is the sun or the surf division so i'll leave this for you guys to guess calu chapman and claremont mud scripts are in one pod laverne pomona pitzer and redlands are in the other i noticed that this is divvied up initially alphabetically which seems as good a dividing line as any and then of course also, since we last convened, Greg, the SAA got a little bigger. So, like, in non-football news, there was an announcement that a couple of conferences are looking to merge. And by merging, making themselves a larger conference, they defend against some of the likely attrition that they expect will happen with schools. They'll definitely still have enough schools in their conference to be able to schedule. Um, and I wonder if, you know, the SAA being willing to essentially take back Trinity and Southwestern, this is in all sports, not just football. I wonder if that's maybe part of this too. 
It could be. It's it's very interesting that we had so much movement and like a big announcement, and there were uh, announcements stacked. I think on consecutive days about yes the uh, SCAC relaunching football and bringing these schools back home, Trinity and Southwestern, and their you know uh, Scriner of uh, starting football and bringing in Leona as an affiliate member, and then here we are, just three months later. And Trinity and Southwestern are just going right back to the SAA. So the that leaves the SCAC in a little bit of a of a lurch. But still, I mean, the still the big loser here remains the ASC, right? Right. The ASC doesn't get any of this, right? They don't get any of that help. The SCAC win all of their if all of their programs start and they are able to bring Texas Lutheran home. They will still have six, which because of a vote by the division three membership in January 22, stop me if you've heard this before means that that conference will be eligible for an automatic bid as well. Those would then be Austin college lion. I think I don't think it's Leon, but I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll table the P one Oh one for later. McMurray, Texas Lutheran and Centenary adding football, Shriner adding football. Those would be your six. Greg, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Greg, let's assume that in 2026, when this all happens, there are 29 conferences in Division Three football. That's a, a possible number. Where do you rank that group of six? Two startups. Austin College, McMurray, TLU, and Lion, which is basically a startup as well and coming into D3. Ooh. Um, I think we're looking out of 29 Division Three conferences, that one is probably going to be 25 or 26. I don't even know if TLU or Austin College is your best program, or frankly, the first season of Centenary College football could be the uh, the uh, the winner, or for that matter, McMurray, right? Yeah, it kind of. I think it kind of depends on how how good TLU is in that group. I think it depends on how good Austin College can be under Tony Joe White with the new programs. You know, you're going to have some. Uh, some years of, of buildup and struggle there. So um, when that comes online, yeah, I think you're looking in the mid to high 20s in a, in a conference ranking. And that's from the guy who ranks conferences. So be prepared, SCAC. That should be a lot of fun. It actually should be a lot of fun. And if we get the 40-team playoff, that might actually happen. The things that have been, if you didn't listen to podcast 327, go back right now and listen to podcast 327. I had more than one division three football committee chair or former, I should say division three football committee chair. Call me and say, I listened to this. This is great. We should keep doing this. You guys should keep doing this. I don't know that we have a big topic round table every month. We certainly don't have one here, but what we do have here in honor of the final four and I hear you. I hear you say that the Division Three men's basketball Final Four was nigh on two weeks ago, but the women's basketball championship game will be played on April 1st in Dallas, Texas, between Transylvania and Christopher Newport. 
in honor of the Final Four, we have a Final Four-themed show. So we've got Christopher Newport. They won the Division Three Men's Basketball National Championship, and the women are playing for the national title. We're talking with their football head coach, Paul Crowley. UW-Whitewater made the Men's Basketball Final Four in surprising fashion, unranked, pulled off four upsets to get to Fort Wayne, Indiana. And Jace Rindle's a pretty noteworthy, newsworthy person right now as the new head coach of the Warhawks. And we'll be talking to him. And Mount Union still does not uh, consent to participating in just about anything that we do, at least in terms of editorial content. But we're going to swap them out for John Carroll out of the Ohio Athletic Conference. So Mount Union made the men's basketball Final Four and played in the national title game, falling to Christopher Newport. So we will have John Carroll, head coach Jeff Berman, to talk on this podcast as well. And that leaves out these following schools. Swarthmore, Swarthmore made the men's Final Four. They dropped football in 2000. Rhode Island College has not sponsored football that I'm aware of. Smith College does not enroll men. And Transylvania University, that is playing CNU for the Women's Basketball National Championship, does not have football either. So we have every available, essentially, every school that would make itself available that also played in the Division Three Basketball Final Four. It is. We're going to Jace Rindall in just, in just a moment, Pat, but your 22-23 academic year sporting event season, well-documented, how Pat Coleman shows up to events during football season this this past season. Amazing games, classic games. Pat, men's Final Four in Fort Wayne, one of the best Final Fours you've seen. Those games were all incredible, right? Yeah, in all honesty, Greg, um, I went back through notes and stories that we had written with the intention of trying to just put together a little slideshow or a story about the top 10 finishes at Division Three Men's Basketball Championship Games. We could not whittle it down to 10, but it would be very difficult to have a game and an ending better than we had two weeks ago Saturday. Here's Dave McHugh and myself on the call. One possession for a national championship. Curley will bring it up. Guarded by John Hines, crosses it up, attacks Barber, hands off to Parker, who hits the layup. Tie ball game, 4.3 left. Brody to Barber, to midcourt, two seconds, attacks the rim, throws it off, Bob, he hit it, it counts! National Championship, captains Christopher Newport on a Hail Mary layup! Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Jace Rindle, he's the new head coach at UW-Whitewater, a Whitewater alum, a Whitewater assistant, and Jace, now the Whitewater head coach. First off, congratulations, and also welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Pat. Appreciate the opportunity to be on here. Um, also appreciate what you do for D3 sports, uh, football, basketball, and uh, really trying to make it a first class and, and elevate us, and, and I know you've done that and enhanced our brand, especially at Whitewater, but just, again, a lot of gratitude there, and thank you. I appreciate that. I might ask some of these questions out of order, but I want to ask this one before I forget. So I don't usually dress up specifically for a specific interview, but I'm I'm wearing my Quinn Miners Belly of the Beast t-shirt. How is uh, how's he doing? Quinn Miners. 
What a shirt. What a guy. Uh, he's, he's great. I mean, finished year two in the league, ended up starting uh, quite a bit as, the, as they closed out. And uh, he's a special young man. Uh, I've texted a little bit, but haven't really necessarily exchanged a phone call or anything with him yet, but hope to do that this summer when he's when he's in a little bit of his offseason. But uh, I know he does things does things right and represents our program, and we couldn't be more proud of Quinn and, and um, you know, happy that he's chasing his dream and doing that at a high level. Over the course of the past four months, I think it's basically about four months since, you know, Kevin Bullis announced his retirement. You were interim coach for a short while, then named head coach, earlier in this off season, what's this kind of been like for you? It's been awesome. I mean, it's surreal. I, you know, I played in a program, coached in it. Once I got done, you're a young coach. You don't quite get it. I left, stepped away from division three football and went to a different program, South Dakota, uh, university of South Dakota, FCS level and, and did yeah. that for two years. So then when I was, you know, looking for a full-time opportunity, coach Bullis called me and, and was able to hire me back at whitewater and, uh, so that would have been in 2015. And, um, you know, when I came back, well, when you leave, you realize, wow, how special Whitewater is. And then you come back, you gain a new perspective on things. And at that time, I really had started thinking like a head coach and, you know, looking through the lens of a guy that's the CEO and the boss. Okay. And Coach Bullis, you know, he's a mentor, a friend, a phenomenal coach, but as good a person as that there is out there, especially in the coaching profession. And he, you know, he really helped prepare me for this opportunity. So, um, yeah, I'm 36. Um, you know, wow, crazy. But, again, I've been preparing for this for, for a while and thinking like that. So when that call came, um, I felt ready. Obviously, it's sunshine and roses right now because we haven't played a game. But thinking like a head coach, preparing for the opportunity before you had it uh, gave me a lot of confidence. But also our staff the institutional knowledge that we have um, allows you again, as the head coach to be able to feel confident. And as we, you know, take this thing day by day, moving forward. You talk about, you know, that brief two year stint and I know what it's like to go somewhere and then come back and gain a new appreciation for things. Um, and as you know, just to go back through, you started playing in 2005, which is a pretty important year in uh, whitewater football history, but that means you played for Berezowitz, you played for Lance Leipold, uh, you coached under Kevin Bullis, and I think played when Bullis was on staff. Like, this gives you really the opportunity to kind of take the best bits and pieces of all of those guys. Absolutely. I mean, 16 out of the last 18 years, uh, I've been at Whitewater. So to say it's in my blood and to say it's, you know, really shaped me, I mean, that's an understatement, right? I, I, I feel like I am Warhawk football. And, um, you know, one thing that I've learned from those guys, great mentors, you know, I still coach boss. I talk a couple times a week, coach Leopold a couple times a week, coach Brett. I talked to all three of them today. So, okay. um, you know, th th there's, there's a lot of support there and a lot of knowledge that I can lean on. But one thing those guys definitely preach is, you know, you got to be yourself and, um, anybody that's coached understands that as coaches, we're transparent. Um, any, any fluff, any, any, um, you know, fake stuff that, you know, players recognize that, coaches recognize that, and it doesn't work. So, um, you know, that's the one thing that they've said is go go be you. But without a doubt, I ain't here without those people and those men. And, um, you know, again, very fortunate, very honored. I understand the great responsibility that comes with this program. And, uh, you know, couldn't be excited to, you know, keep pushing forward and, and uh, make this thing the best, best first-class program that we can that we can do.
What's the feeling around the program right now? Just I, I just go back to the surprising way in which last season ended. I don't think anybody expected Whitewater to go out in the first round. It turned out Aurora was pretty good. They ended up winning more football games uh, after that. I'm not going to put an adjective on it. I'm sure people have their own adjectives, but not a great way for that season to end up. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, you know, that, that was hard, but that's life. That, that's how things go. Um, was it a good year? Absolutely. It was still a good year and winning a conference championship or seniors winning four in a row. And then I told this story when we ran the banquet, I, when I came here as a freshman, Jim Lashinsky, who was our captain in 05, wow. stood in front of the team and said, guys, we're going to win a ring, right? We're going to win a ring. And he was talking about a conference championship ring. So the Lance Leifold effect or whatever you want to call it has really changed and spoiled our fan base, which is fine. Um, and the expectations have really risen, which again, which is fine, but there's a chip on the shoulder. You know, our first game of the year is against John Carroll. I remember John Carroll coming to the perk in 2016, like it was yesterday. So, um, but that's all taught. I don't mean anything, right? It's about how you go about your business day in and day out and the consistency of how you do it. And, uh, I think our guys are, are are very excited for the opportunities that are ahead of us and uh, looking forward to seeing what we can do and how we can grow and how we can become a team as we go through spring ball, which actually starts um, two weeks. <laughs> there you go. No pressure. Thanks for taking the time out of that prep to uh, give us a half hour. I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, we're good. We got spring break uh, next week. So, And I got a kid. My wife's. we're having a baby on Monday, so just put a little something else onto it. Oh my gosh, congratulations. Thank so you. I'm just I'm just going to say this. It's I guess the right time of year for a football coach to do that. I'm not sure. That one yeah, without a doubt, you know, having a having a, a child in spring is way way better than trying to do it in fall. So you start the season, you mentioned John Carroll. It's really three top 25 teams in the non-conference schedule and then of course the YX schedule being what it is, you'll probably face another couple if not maybe three ranked teams in that span as well. It really seems like over the course of the last year or so so many teams in Division Three have taken on this challenge of stepping up, playing some of the premier teams in the division, Whitewater being one of them, St. John's, Trinity, Mary Harden-Baylor, lots of great non-conference matchups last season and this season. What's it like for you guys to know that you don't have to put maybe as much work into putting the schedule together? I know I talked with <laughs> Coach Bullis and with Coach Leipold so many times when those guys were trying to find non-conference games. Yeah, again, another awesome, fortunate. I mean, I walk into this thing and we got a 10 game schedule. Right. Um, and Coach Jennings up at Oshkosh, I'm great friends with. And uh, we play golf and we hang out. And um, I remember last summer, last spring, he's like, Jace, when you're a head coach, and it wasn't because he knew it was coming down, but he said, when you're a head coach, take care of the schedule first. Hmm. So understanding the challenges that go into us program, not, I mean, the budget and traveling. I mean, there's just hurdles after hurdles, but you got to get 10 games for your guys. And, you know, coach Bullis has left this program in a phenomenal spot. And, um, you know, yeah, we got, we got tough competition, but to be honest with you, Pat, you know, name us great face. That, that's how we're going to approach it week in and week out, whether they're the top 10, top 20, top 60. In, in, in all honesty, the way I was conditioned in this program from the coaches that we mentioned before is, you know, you got to be your best every Saturday, and, and that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to play your best every Saturday, whether it's a great team or not, and uh, name us great face. That's how we're going to look at it. 
I'm not quite understanding what that phrase is. Do you mind repeating it back at me a little more yeah. slowly? Yeah, nameless gray face. I mean, whether it's um, Mary Harden Baylor, whether it's a different school, whether it's the defending national champions at um, North Central, you don't want your opponent to dictate your behavior, right? We don't want a circumstance to determine how we go about our business. So your opponent is really a nameless gray face because it don't matter who it is. We're going to try to whoop your butt, play it the best of our ability. And uh, so that's kind of how we talk about things here. I gotcha. It's been a little while since I've been a gamer, for example, but it's like you're playing an NPC or a, a CPU character, right? It doesn't, uh, they don't have a name necessarily. Yeah. I mean, you respect them all without a doubt. And you, and there's different strengths and weaknesses with every opponent. So I'm not trying to sit here and say that you're, you're not, not game planning or that, you know, what I'm saying is that we, we need to approach everything with trying to be the best that we can be and be attacking and be the hunters and, you know, go at it a hundred miles an hour and, you know, be who you are, but every week, right? It's it's that Super Bowl. Every week is that Super Bowl. I think some of the big questions for you guys are on offense. I know there are questions on both sides of the ball, but I know, you know, you're a guy who spent your time on the defense over the course of the time that you've been at Whitewater. Getting to know the offensive guys better, getting to know the quarterback candidates, even though, as you said, you know, you're not even going to get on the field here for a couple of weeks. What's that process like as you look forward to, you know, putting somebody in that position on week one? Yeah, I mean, quarterback position right now is is Jason Sinetti. He'll go out there with number ones. Behind him would be Jackson Chris. And then uh, Alec Ogden's another name that's uh, in our program. So those are the top three. Our depth charts are fluid. We're in a constant state of evaluation. Uh, internal competition is what we're all about. So um, you know, I feel very confident about our offense going into year two with the staff. I ain't about excuses, so I ain't going to list any of that. But, you know, I think we got the right people. I think we got the right people leading it on offense. I think we got the right leaders as players in that locker room. So got a long ways to go. But, um, you know, we'll attack this thing one day at a time. And, again, we, when we go to spring ball for that first practice, Jason Sinetti would be taking uh, snaps with, with, with the number one offense. Let me ask you a question. I am just coming from the basketball world where it seems like the only thing anybody talks about these days is the transfer portal. There are guys transferring out of Division Three to take a final year at a scholarship level. There are guys who finished four-year careers because of COVID at Division Three schools and have a year of eligibility left, so they go to another Division Three school to finish off that eligibility. Is that kind of player movement something that is going to be an impact for you guys at Whitewater? Potentially. I mean, we, we did, there's a couple of guys that did leave, but none of them suited up in the playoffs. They weren't anybody that was, you know, traveling, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I feel good about that. I mean, that, that, that's the world we live in. Uh, I'm a completely against it, but if somebody wants to transfer because it's a better opportunity for them, well, that's the choice that they get to make. And I don't want that to happen during the season once you're on the roster, but right. uh, I understand the dynamics of, uh, you know, the world we live in. My first message to the team, Pat, when I took over as interim head coach, I said, guys, we are all volunteers here. There are no hostages. Hmm. And my point was, if you don't want to do things a certain way, we'll just get the heck out of here because nobody's forcing you to be here. Football's the greatest team sport on earth. The only way you're going to have success is in football um, is, is getting everybody to buy in, right? Everybody buys into the same standard. Everybody buys into the culture and how we do things. And then, and then we go at it. So, yeah, if you want to be resistant to showing up on time and wearing the whitewater colors, well, you ain't going to fit in here. Um, yeah. We don't have a lot of rules, but 
we're going to do things a certain way. And, and if you want to do it, let's go. If not, well, there's probably somebody else that would accept you on their team. Obviously lots to talk about with a brand new head coach and a young new head coach at that, a guy who came up through the program, a guy who was a D three football.com defensive player of the year. My first big takeaway is my God, that whitewater schedule. Holy buckets. Yeah, Pat, the, the Warhawks are a program that has really either by choice or by necessity steered into the competitively aggressive scheduling. And they're going to be on our game of the week radar every week for that first, what, like nine weeks of the season. Um, the, the front eight games for UWW, here they are, Pat. John Carroll, St. John's, Mary Harden Baylor, Oshkosh, Lacrosse, River Falls, Stout, oh Platteville. And those are all teams that we've seen can regularly compete with and often win games against top 15 or top 10 light competition. I don't think I've ever seen an eight-game stretch like that on a Division Three schedule. Jace Rindle said some very nice things, obviously, about Kevin Bullis, his former boss, and you know one of the guys that he coached with for quite some time. But, you know, if I'm him, like the first thing I do when I look at, you know, whatever folders left in the desk or on the desktop on the computer or in the network folder and I see the schedule contracts for 2023, I'm back on the phone to Kevin saying, what the hell did you do to me? That is like what a baptism by fire for that relatively young man. And I can say that, right? He's like 14 years younger than I am. Yeah, I think that that would be a fun conversation to listen to, actually, to listen to Kevin Bullis explain to Jace Rindle why this is such a great opportunity. You spun it super well. Well done. Yeah, and it's this is we're going to be talking Warhawk football often for the first two months of the season. So it'll be interesting to see how those first three games go with the new coach, Jace Rindle, very uh, generously talking about quarterback depth chart in March. That never happens. I'm sure that somebody will be on that depth chart who's expended some eligibility somewhere else, right? I'd have to think that there's a great opportunity for someone to step in and really compete for that. Yeah, there is. But regardless of what happens in those first three weeks, you know, that that's going to be a team that hopefully, you know, in that use in that first month, they're going to get used to Jace Rindell as head coach. And I think they're going to be ready for WIAC play and they could be one and two or zero and three and still, I think maybe be favorites to win the WIAC. Doesn't seem any different than last year. Folks, if you thought we talked about whitewater too much last season, I'm sorry. As Greg said, they're going to be on Game of the Week radar for at least the foreseeable future into November, most likely. Before we go any further, we ought to thank the people who would notice if we talked about the Warhawks a lot, some of whom are Warhawk fans, and they are our Patreon supporters, our Patreon subscribers, people who support the D3Sports.com family of websites and the production of this podcast using the Patreon service. Patreon is a service that allows publishers like us, artists, writers, that sort of thing, podcasters to get small donations on a monthly basis from a number of people who then are essentially subscribing to your service. Think of it like public radio or public television. We're not asking you to pay to receive this podcast or to pay to read d3football.com. 
but we do need to have some form of regular income. We do really need to have you guys allow ads from our websites to display on your screen. So that is another way that we get revenue. But we are very thankful for the people who subscribe to us on Patreon, starting at as low as $3 a month and as high as $50 a month. We're very thankful for their contributions, which help us just have a regular budget and plan to be able to do things in the fall. In the fall and also support all of the D3sports.com family websites. If you follow the tremendous men's basketball tournament, the women's basketball tournament, and all of the great work that's being done over there by Ryan Scott and Riley Zayas and Gordon Mann and Dave McHugh, all covering a tremendous uh, men's basketball postseason on D3hoops.com, getting ready to spin up uh, some coverage for D3baseball.com. We've talked about Pat Coleman showing up and events being great, so uh, that Division Three World Series, you can probably count on being uh, tremendous baseball, uh, but we'll have coverage of that there on d3baseball.com. And it's Patreon Patreon dollars that help uh, support all of those sites and the work that this family of websites does to uh, support Division Three athletics and student-athletes. I would say so, especially supporting us covering the Division Three Women's Basketball Championship game, which is being held at the site of the D1 Championship game in Dallas. That stuff is expensive. Prices jacked up because the D1 Women's March Madness is in town. It's also that sort of thing that will allow us to be in the building when Mary Harden Baylor goes to Trinity in San Antonio this fall. Those sorts of things happen because of that. We're very thankful for that. To learn a little bit more about how you can support D3Sports.com in that way, you can go to Patreon.com slash D3Sports. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash D3Sports. Or, you know, if a recurring donation is not your kind of thing and you want to help us out on a one-time basis, go to D3Sports.com slash help. Now with the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Coach Jeff Berman, the new head coach at John Carroll University, his alma mater. Uh, no stranger to Division Three, led the union program back to the playoffs just a couple of short years ago. But coming back to your alma mater, Coach, is something a lot of people in Division Three, especially seem to do. Yeah, it's uh, it's a dream come true for me. And uh you know, I've been gone. I, I graduated in 95, as you said, and, and left for 27 years coaching college ball um, across the country most, uh, you know, the last 23 years and on the East Coast. And, uh, you know, it was all leading up to being able to come back here to John Carroll. Was always, uh, it was always a, a desire for me to, to come back to John Carroll and, and lead this program, uh, a program that meant so much to me and impacted my life in positive ways. I don't know once we get done with editing this how much people will hear. We're in a big echoey room, but it's a it's a pretty special room here at John Carroll. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, you know, it goes back to, you know, the vision of Tony DiCarlo, who was my head coach um, and uh, was the athletic director and and someone that uh, that, uh, you know, we certainly want to continue his legacy and, and and what he's built here. But, you know, it was his vision to to build the stadium, uh, Don Shula Stadium. Um, and uh, we're in a room right now, which is called the Shula, the Shula Center, um, that has a lot of Don Shula's memorabilia from his NFL days and even his high school days here. Uh, Painesville, uh, Harvey High School grad, uh, which is really, really neat. It's a, it's a great, 
it's a great uh, just room to come in, meet. We'll have staff meetings in here, bring our, our prospective students in here. Just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great room to showcase. And then on, that's on one side. On the other side is a lot of the John Carroll football history as well with, uh, with a lot of the, the great players that, that, have, uh, that have worn the blue and the gold. Right, you pointed out uh, uh, London Fletcher's jersey, of course, and the number three on the back is always kind of special to Division Three fans as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, London was uh, a transfer here. I mean, I only had a, a year or two with him as a player. I was I was older than him, but uh, but certainly, you know, um, he was kind of the second mark in the NFL uh, to come through right. John Carroll with with uh, with Don Shula being the first. But you know, London's someone that uh, that we're so proud of, um, and and uh, you know has has really given a lot back to the university and is on our board of trustees and someone that uh, I look forward to, to re-engaging with here. And of course, there's a, a, a good number of people in the years since then who have come out of this program and gone into coaching or other associated jobs in the league. Yeah, it's, it's really amazing. And, it, and it's, uh, it's, it's another pride point for John Carroll University and specifically John Carroll football and, and, and the alums. Um, you know, you, you talk about the Ohio States and the Alabamas of the world. They talk about how many players are in the NFL and, you know, small Division three school here in Northeast Ohio. John Carroll, we talk about how many people are in the NFL. And, and uh, you know, just again, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a product of what John Carroll University represents and our mission of, you know, to learn, to lead, and to serve. And, and you know, it's not a surprise that so many of these guys have, have moved on to, to leadership roles. Um, at all levels of football. Um, but, you know, to have that many in the NFL is, is really special. All right, so you've been on the job here. At the time, we're having this conversation in early-ish March. It's been a little over two months. What is it like kind of hitting the ground running in a, you know, a program that your familiarity with it is a good quarter of a century old, I'm sorry to say. Yeah, it is. And, and uh, you know, it's there's a lot that's the same here at John Carroll, and but there's a lot that's changed. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot that I've had to, uh, you know, a lot of meetings on campus. I'm still having those meetings just to make sure I understand the lay of the land and, and how things work here and, and getting things done. Um, you know, we've had we've had some 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 of the coaches that have stayed on with us, which has been really helpful for me in terms of just that continuity and and being able to get some answers, uh, you know, from them on, on how things roll. But uh, in terms of just being back, you know, it's it's uh, like I told the team in our first team meeting, um, you know, this program's not broke. Right. It's uh, you guys went eight and two last year. Um, it's won 79 percent of its games over the last 10 years. So um, it's just about improving. Right. That's what we're trying to do in our daily lives is just to get better every single day and to push and challenge one another to, to get better. So, you know, that's that's the phase we're in right now. We're finishing up a recruiting class right now, um, trying to complete a staff, uh, which which we're getting and we're closing in on right now, which is good. Um, guys have been unbelievable in the weight room and, and the work ethic and the brotherhood that I see here. You know, as a head coach, you never know what what you are going to take over in terms of culture and, 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 and togetherness. But uh, I can say I can say here that, uh, you know, we definitely um, have a very strong culture here. So I'm really, really encouraged by that. Um, and then we're just preparing for spring ball right now. We're, uh, you know, staffs talking offense, defense and, and special teams. And we're uh, we're working to, to get ready there for the for the start of spring ball, the end of March. How much of that changes? Like how much new X's and O's do you bring in schemes, systems that were different than what we're here? And of course, you know, as a reminder to people, 
you know, not only are you a new coach this year, but there was an interim coach last year. There's actually been a little bit of coaching mm-hmm. turnover here at John Carroll in the last uh, six or seven years. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I, and I said that to the, to the team. I'm your third head coach in three years. Um, and, and, and one of my goals coming here is to bring stability to this position so that, uh, you know, you, you don't have new coaches. Hiring year. an alum would certainly seem to do that, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, hopefully, hopefully uh, we, we do a good job and they keep me around, right? That's, that's what it's all about. Never mind you've got a new athletic director walking <laughs> in the door sometime in the next six months or so too, sure, right? Sure, for sure. But, uh, no, when you get back to the X's and O's and schemes, um, you're always going to look to blend, right, and evolve your schemes. Every year you get in the offseason and, and you look to see what you did well, what you didn't do well. Certainly it, it's going to come down to personnel. We're much more of a – it's players over plays mentality, and that's in all phases of the game. So, you know, you're evaluating what you have in, in the program now, and you're looking at what they did previous, and you look at what you did at previous schools as well, um, and then you, you blend those and, and mesh those together to, to be able to put the players in the positions to be success, successful and ultimately win a game. Obviously, this is, a, you know, six months off or so, but you start off with – kind of participating in this trend in Division Three football lately of top programs taking on other top programs. So you guys start off the season with UW-Whitewater, and then, of course, Mountain Union uh, comes hard on their trail. Um, obviously, it's a little too early to start looking at that, but knowing that you were coming into that, how'd you feel about that? Well, I think it's exciting. You know, you always, you know, iron sharpens iron. You know, you, you got you to gotta, you gotta play the best and beat the best to be the best, right? So, um, listen, you know, you got Whitewater in, in week one, week two is the bye, and you got Baldwin Wallace, you know, who who took Mount to, to the last play of the, uh, of the game last year. So, right, and it's look, a big rival for John Carroll. Right a now, huge okay. rival, right? There's the Cuyahoga the Gold, Gold Bowls over right over there, there yeah. right? Yeah, yep. so it's, it's right there. And, um, listen, I, I think – you know, I know it's a little cliche, but it's week by week. It, but it, it truly is. I mean, it's part of the process. It's part of how you do things. You try not to be re- results-oriented. You, you really try to be process-oriented, and, and that's that's my philosophy. That's how I've I've run things and, and how I've, I've philosophically gone about my career as well. Um, so yeah, we'll continue to do that as we get, we get online here. When you come in and talk to the guys, and I'm talking about the student-athletes, you know, coming in for that first meeting on January 3rd, January 4th, whenever they get back to campus and you've had your first day and all the orientation and the HR stuff, mm-hmm. let's not forget that. People who live in corporate world know. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the things, what are your key messages to the team when you're coming into something like that? Well, I think obviously, uh, you know, it, it's the togetherness. We, we you know, the, the three pillars that I've, I've kind of honed in on as, as a college coach and in the, in the programs that I've been part of, uh, that have all been successful. You know, I've looked at three pillars that we're going to build a program off of, and and that's what I I had instilled at, at Union as well, um, and that's family trust and commitment. And because you truly do have to have a family atmosphere, you know, to 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 be successful. Um, every great team I've ever been a part of as a player as a coach, number one was a family. Um, they loved each other. They they were honest with each other, accountable with each other, um, responsible with each other, but also they challenged each other too. Um, so I, I think that's that's important, that healthy challenge. And then this, this, the second pillar is trust. I mean, number one, we got to all trust ourselves, our own individual being of, of who we are. We know our goals. We know our visions of where we want to get to and where we want to go. Um, but then you have to develop that trust amongst one another. And, and you know, as a new coach, you know, I tell, I tell them, like, I'm not going to earn your trust today in a meeting. I'm going to earn your trust over time. And my actions need to – need to speak louder than my words. And, and I'm a firm believer in well done is better than well said. So, um, but the same goes for them. You know, their actions 
are going to speak louder than their words as well. And, and they need to show me, not tell me. Uh, so that, that's a development that happens. And that's the trust that happens from player to coach, coach to player, player to player. Um, and, then the, and then the third pillar really is commitment. And, and uh, you know, I always ask the guys, you know, who wants to be average in the room? And no one raises their hand. Um, and that's because that's not what we're wired to be. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're wired to be elite. And we're uh, uh, wired to, to, to reach that level of excellence that we all want. But in order to get to that level, you, you got to have commitment. And in order to have that commitment and see commitments through, uh, one, you got to have conviction. You got to have a strong set of beliefs and values. And then you got to have courage. And, and if you're going to have ups and downs, ebbs and flows, and, and you're going you're gonna to be met with adversity and in life, we have to have we have to have courage to get through those times, and then uh, you know finally you know besides the conviction and the courage, you need to have consistency um, because it's it's all about positive habits and, and doing those consistently to to get to the levels that you want to get to. Based on what you've seen on film so far, what's the gap between this program and Mount Union? Um, well, I would say I would say the entire OAC, right? I mean, I, I know Mount's been at the top of the, the league for quite some time now, right? But uh, um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I've completely dove directly into that to say what we need. You know, you almost it's kind of the here and now, right now. You know, what's important now? That's getting the, that's getting the best players we can um, in a, in this recruiting class. That's what we've been focused on, and then also making sure we're developing our own players that are mm -hmm. that are in house right now. Which is again, that's been the biggest focus. I think I'll dive in a lot more as as we get a little bit later into spring and, and early summer as to as to really looking at some of those opponents. Well, tell me a little bit about recruiting then, because starting in January, I I would feel like you're probably in pretty good position to maintain the people who are already in the pipeline and you know so that kids know what they're coming into yeah I think uh you know I, I'd say yes yes and no um and and you know I think recruiting really starts the cycle of recruiting it never ends right but but the cycle like with our class of 2024 guys we'll start that here next week you know where we're reaching out to coaches and reaching out to players and they're already reaching out to us that you know sure with social media you know they're 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 contacting us all the time which yeah. is good but you know it's it's a lot about relationship building and uh, a lot of those relationships are built over the summertime and through the fall early december so we we missed on those months obviously but but um i feel like we're in a great spot right now with with the guys we're talking with we're, we're uh, the guys that are committed to the program moving forward i mean there's a tremendous amount of value and quality in that group so um, i'm excited and encouraged by by the guys that are joining us how many assistant coaches stayed on? How many new people did you have to hire? Like what kind of, I guess, turnover from that perspective? Like some of your kids, some of your recruiting contacts, main point of contact are probably still here on staff, right? Yeah, not, not many though, to okay. be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we, we, we've, had some, we've had some turnover for sure and we brought some, some, new, some new coaches in as well. Um, I really like the direction that the staff's moving in right now. We'll hope to announce a new defensive coordinator here within the next seven days. Um, so that, that'll be exciting for us. Uh, but yeah, I, I was able to bring Travis James over from, from Union. He was our offense coordinator there. So okay. he was there. But then, uh, you know, um, including uh, guys that were on the staff last year, you know, John Carroll graduates and Joey Bates and Mac Austin and, and Brandon DeMarco, those guys are, are staying on. We, we retain Rex Rover as our wide receivers coach and, and recruiting coordinator. And uh, we're adding some new guys here in, in, the, in, the, coming, uh, in the coming weeks.
I know better than to ask too much about specific kids in specific positions to someone in, in your position, so to speak, at this time of the year, but anybody that you think people should be watching out for, people who you think might, I don't know, might thrive or might make a big leap for you in a new scheme, that sort of thing? Yeah, too early to tell, for sure. Um, I will say this. Um, we have tremendous leadership on the team. I've been extremely impressed with uh, with leadership across the board, not just the seniors, not just the fifth year guys coming back, but but uh, even the younger guys as well. There's been some really good leadership um, that, that being displayed um, on an everyday basis here. Literally a year ago, this podcast, this very weekend, when I'm traveling for basketball, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, I stopped at uh, North Central. Brad Spencer had uh, you know, recently taken over as head coach there, and he also has an office underneath the stadium that has no windows. And to me, you know, now having lived so many years in a corporate job, I can't imagine someone who is in your position you know, on the hierarchy having a windowless office. What's that about? I'll tell you what. I mean, it's, it's just part of what it is. I mean, it's nothing new to me. I was at Stony Brook as the offensive coordinator on Long Island for 10 years. And yeah, but you weren't the head coach. I wasn't the head coach, but the head coach's office didn't have windows either. Right. So we were in the stadium. Uh, we didn't have windows. So, I mean, you could get in there at 6 a.m. in the morning and leave at 10 o'clock at night, and there could be a uh, foot of snow, and you not even know it happened. So, But also, they just want to keep you there, right? Is that That's maybe, maybe. I could see that. I could totally <laughs> see that. And I'm just, you know, I'm just going to throw out there that the guy who we talked to on this trip last year just went on to win the national championship. So yeah, I got a lot no of respect pressure. for Brad and in and, uh, and the North Central program for sure. They've done a tremendous job there, and having take, taken over for Coach Dorn, um, you know, really, really impressive. And and I know, uh, you know, just I'm I, I have the opportunity to speak with him here in the in the next month or so. Uh, okay. um, one of my assistant coaches is really good friends with him as well, and. Uh, when he was out recruiting Chicago, stopped in to, to see Brad at North Central and, and, again, looking forward to connecting with him soon. Should we be looking for a uh, North Central John Carroll home-and-home uh, in, home in 2025 no, and 26? Possibly. We haven't gotten that far yet, but uh, that could happen. Greg Jeff Behrman, very gracious with his time. You know, not all that long after having been hired at John Carroll, sat down with me, not in his office, but in a more impressive room, a room you could actually see out of the Don Shula room at John Carroll's stadium, uh, a little bit more impressive. I mean, can we get windows for coaches, please? Come on. These are, these are head coaches. Let's get windows in their offices. You know, Pat, I hadn't realized that uh, Coach Berman's journey back to John Carroll is one that took over two decades uh, that probably speaks more to how the Division Three sports timeline for me seems to condense the more time I spend uh, following the division. I thought it was really interesting that he played a little coy there, talking about not having spent a lot of time digging into Mount Union. Maybe true, he's been busy building his staff and recruiting, uh, but it's going to be wise soon to start pulling out some Mount Union video, getting a feel for what they're about, because unlike Whitewater, who I think probably an established favorite in the WIAC. John Carroll's path to the playoffs almost certainly requires them to either beat Mount Union and win the OAC or at least be in the neighborhood. Yeah, I can see that if you're joining a program, taking over a program at that time, you're going to maybe re-recruit the kids who were already on campus, although it sounded like you know there were not too many people that had to be brought back into the fold. That makes sense. It's just 
it's a successful program. You want to be in it. You want to finish up that recruiting class because you still have an opportunity to do that. And then you want to get ready for spring ball. So maybe it is like end of April, beginning of May, all of June, along with some vacation time where you then, you know, just pull out any Mount Union footage that you can get in the conference's account. You have so many Mount Union games at your disposal, and I'm sure that uh, somebody on that staff will be doing that scout pretty shortly. Uh, Yeah, you know, it's interesting and maybe not coincidental, Pat, that our first two coach interviews this month feature not just two coaches taking over at their alma maters. We do love the theme, but Two coaches that are going to play in week one, uh, seeking their first win at their programs. And as a, you know, that there's also seeking a result there that almost certainly is going to have some impact on their postseason situations. Greg, if Keith McMillan is listening, his copy editor ears are on and saying, those coaches are not going to play in week one. They're going to coach in week one. But if they play, my money's on Jace Rindle. I think he's in a little bit better shape at age 36 than uh, Jeff Berman, who, who is basically about my age in his early 50s. But uh, I just wanted to make note of that one more time. Now with the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Paul Crowley, the head coach at Christopher Newport University. We've talked to a lot of head coaches at Christopher Newport University over in the D3 hoop side the last couple of weeks, and we're here to talk a little bit about captain's football. Coach, I appreciate you giving us the time today. Thanks for having me on, Pat. Looking forward to talking about it. So, you know, once upon a time, Paul, I think, you know, Coach Kelchner would have been the name who was the face of Christopher Newport University football. But if you go back and do the math, right, you played at CNU, you have coached at CNU for 13 seasons, and now the head coach in your second year. Um, I don't know if you've pondered that or if people have talked to you about that, but I'd have to think that you would be the person now. Yeah, yeah. Kelchner's still around. He is, uh, he's working in an uh, off the field role. So I think he's, he's still the legend. He's still around. He makes his presence known, but he does a good job of, uh, allowing me to do my own thing. And yeah, I've, I've been around it for a while. So it's nice to be at a job where you have such good relationships with the alumni and, and really almost everybody that's played for the program. I've, I've gotten to know in one form or another. I would have to say, right. Because I know that people who are coming up now never know that there was a day when CNU didn't have football, but I remember that when it was uh, announced that it was starting up and then started up in the early two thousands, it was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, starting off with the area and the, and the level of high school football you get around here. Um, it's obviously exciting when you, you keep a program local and ODU has since gone on to do the same thing. But um, even as a local back then, as a high school student, there was buzz about the program starting and, and what it could become. I want to ask you about that a little bit because, you know, um, ODU kind of took a bunch of kids for a long time that, you know, were probably CNU kids, at least in terms of geography and probably in terms of academics and in terms of uh, skill level and that sort of thing. Now, ODU has gone on to bigger and better things. And I would assume that you guys are not really recruiting the same student athlete anymore. Yeah. You know, you'll run into some on a walk on basis. And that's that's kind of one of the fun parts about recruiting is I've been doing it at this level for so long. And even even when I worked at William Mary. Um, who you go up against always constantly shifts and changes and trying to find those inefficiencies and get the best players you can at our levels. It's always a challenge, but it's always one I like doing. 
when you said find those inefficiencies in the back of my head, I had a money ball reference in my head. Is that the kind of thing we're you're talking I, about? I wouldn't go that far, but <laughs> you're around it long enough. You know, you see why certain kids kind of slip through the cracks and you try to target those guys and, you know, for their own you know sake, you hope they do get the scholarships, but when they don't, you know, you're there and ready to pounce and um, can build a team that way. So last season, first season as head coach, bit of an improvement up from five and five to seven and three. Um, and I would have to think, you know, I, I know this is practically ancient history at this point, but when I look back at last season's schedule, it's like those two losses in the first three weeks of the season. And then looking at the way you guys played the rest of your schedule, I'm not sure that you guys would have lost those games if you had played them in October or November. Yeah, that's something you, you look back on and you have regrets, especially, you know, first year coaching. But, um, you know, we, we were up 10 with about three minutes to go in, in the second game of the year. So I don't oh, know right. what the ESPN tracker would say our chances of winning that game were, but that's second game as a head coach. That was a pretty brutal way to lose one, not recovering an onside kick, some of those things. And then we played the apprentice school, which is a local game and um, right. they were much improved. They were, you know, as good as any football team we played all year and then they went on to win a bowl game too. So that was a good challenge for us. And I think it got us ready for um, conference play that was to come after that. So this season, we were talking before the recording started. You're in the middle of spring ball. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a lot more fun than it used to be. You know, when I played spring ball, was uh, they had just introduced using a football, I believe, my first year. So that was a big deal. <laughs> but uh, as an ex-offensive lineman, it's a lot of mundaneness, a lot of monotony. Um, so being able to, to to wear the helmets and put the shoulder pads on uh, for a couple now is is a pretty cool deal. Um, so we're on, we're on practice. I uh, just finished up five this morning. Looking forward to getting some of our padded ones this weekend. Um, it's, it's a good opportunity for to find out more about some of your twos and threes and what they can do and develop them and, you know, get them ready in the event injuries happen or, you know, be ready to go compete once you start camping in the fall. So for full disclosure for everybody, we're having this conversation at a little after 1.30 Eastern on March 27th. Hopefully we get this out before the end of March. But you have been, you were telling me, you've been up for a little while. You are well past kind of the midpoint of a day at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, with, with scheduling at our at our school, uh, we got to start the practices. We start our team meeting at 5.50 a.m. So that means getting up brutally early from your house and commuting in and making sure everything's ready to go for practice. You know, once you're, once you're done, you feel accomplished, but it certainly makes for long days. And um, I think that's one of the the hallmarks of division three football. We talk a lot about is you really got to love the game to play it at this level. You're not waking up because it's a scholarship. You're waking up because you love the game. So for the guys that make it through all four years of doing that, you know, you know, they got to be pretty special kids. How many guys are taking part in spring ball? Uh, roughly about 70 right now dependent upon injuries and, and how we are that day. How many kids do you expect to bring in in the fall? Uh, 135 is, is the number set by the end, Jack, and we'll try to be right up at that um, with what we bring in. Schedule for you guys and for the rest of the end, Jack, looks a little bit different this year. Everybody has you know these two crossover games with the Centennial Conference. What does that look like for you guys for scheduling this year? Yeah, yeah, it's actually going to be um, three. Um, so we'll be playing uh, Johns Hopkins in our first one. Um, and then, uh, we'll get Dickinson and Gettysburg there too. So, um, certainly going to be some challenges and, you know, just from, a you know, early film, um, of some of the opponents we get in league too, it'll be nice to have some apples to apples comparisons. You know, sometimes the games are so disparate, you don't really know what you're seeing. So, uh, I'll be excited for us in the challenge and, and for the teams in our league too, to, to kind of, you know, prove our mettle against a, a really good league. Yeah, I can imagine like, you know, last year, I mean, maybe this isn't a great comparison because this is at the end of the year for you guys, but 
if early in the year someone was looking at your game against WNL and then you were looking at like Salisbury's game against Albright or something like that, you might not necessarily learn a whole bunch. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were watching teams playing Utica and, and some other places and you don't know a ton about the, the you know, talent of those teams early in the year. Um, so it certainly helps. And, you know, you, you see some weird ones. I know Montclair played uh, uh, Delaware Valley really close early in the year. So sometimes that film is really um, good to watch and look back at. All right. So Christopher Newport has been successful at sports for quite some time. Football program has had its successes. It's won a playoff game, that sort of thing. And now, of course, you know, one of the the theme of the show, I guess, is based around, you know, the teams that advanced to the basketball final four. And for CNU, both men's and women's basketball did that. What is required to be like the next couple of steps for CNU to get back to where it was and maybe make a playoff run? Yeah, I think it starts with who you who you evaluate in the recruiting process and bringing the right kids into the program. Um, I'm a firm believer, you know, over the course of four years, you certainly mold kids and, and try to help them grow as individuals. But, you know, their parents ha- have really uh, baked that cake to a large degree on the kind of people they are and the human beings they're going to be. So it sounds simple, but, you know, bring in high quality kids um, that have good character, then you'll have a high character team and that's how we'll win games. So. Um, it's easy to lose sight of that time. So that's, that's really our goal as coaches. And and that's how we won in the past and, you know, how we'll look to, to bring it back to where it used to be. I mean, so, you know, you're talking about a situation where, you know, you've only been the head coach for, I don't know, it's probably like 13 months or something like that, but have had a hand in the recruiting for several, many years before that. Does that philosophy or did that philosophy change any of it when you took over as head coach? Was there just like, you know, tweaking you do to that, whatever the secret sauce is of a kid you're looking for, or was it more of a uh, deeper or like a wholesale change? Um, I, I can't talk to what the previous staff was necessarily looking for. Um, but, you know, I know the things I've kind of learned over the years, just dealing with so many kids and and things that pop and things that tell you they're going to be good. And I think really wherever you're, you're recruiting really at any level, um, the big thing you're always trying to determine is how much do they love football? You know, at, at the end of the day, those are the kids that become your best players, the kids that are their own worst critics. Um, but, you know, that's something hard to hard to find out in limited exposure to kids and how they'll deal with adversity. So, you know, we're always trying to um, figure those things out. I think there's a there's a talent bar you always have to pass. But beyond that, it's the off the field intangible stuff you're trying to figure out and and. You know, if anyone had the perfect answer, they'd be, you know, an NFL draft scout or they'd be the recruiting coordinator wherever. But uh, we're always trying to hone that in and figure out what we think that best formula is on finding the right kid. You mentioned Matt Kelchner is still on campus. How often do you talk? How does that connection kind of manifest itself today for you? Yeah, it's if, if I have a question on something, you know, whether it's something school related with the kids or football related, you know, obviously lean on the experience he's had of coaching for so many years, um, especially in the role I'm in now, which is a little different, obviously, than what it was in the past. So it's just a, a huge resource to have, you know, right up the road that I can just give a call to and he can come over and, and we can talk about um, whatever that subject might be. And then, you know, he's around on game day. And sometimes he just keeps me honest on some of the things I know that that maybe I lose sight of at times as well. I think one of the things that, you know, maybe we used to talk a little bit more about used to be a little more prominent when CNU was winning more games and going deep into the playoffs was the game day atmosphere. You guys have a fantastic stadium. You guys are one of the few people now left with grass, a place where 
in a kind of medium-sized market, media market-wise, you pull locals into your sporting events where I don't know that that happens so much anymore in Division Three. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd say that's our biggest advantage in recruiting is you get kids to come check out our game day atmosphere and, and you realize it's a lot better than a lot of places. I mean, my first year at William Mary, we weren't winning a lot of games and we've had some bigger crowds at CNU and it's full and it's vibrant and you got a 200 person pet band. It's, it just feels like what college football um, is supposed to feel like. And that's a credit to Coach Kelchner and how he envisioned the program and playing on grass. And, you know, I prefer daytime kickoffs because to me, that's just how college football should be. So um, it's as good as you're going to find. And um, I think, you know, it's it's special for our kids to get that over the course of four years. I was going to say, I saw a couple of night games in last year's schedule. I don't uh, have a look at what 2023 looks like in terms of kickoff times yet. Yeah, we'll typically play the NJAC ones during the day so those schools can get back. And I much prefer those. Um, you know, some of the, some of my best memories at a player were some of those early kickoffs that were, that were hot as heck. And uh, you, you, they're just memorable for you. I think one of the things, too, is if you're just sitting around all day at a home game for a 7 o'clock kickoff or a 6 o'clock kickoff, I mean – especially if you're getting up at three 30 in the morning, which you're probably not on game day, I'd be pacing and climbing the walls and stuff like that. Yeah. It's not a lot of fun. You turn on some of the other games, you know, going on throughout the day, but you can't really pay close attention. Um, and then, you know, for the kids too to go out after a, a day game and be able to, you know, go get dinner with their parents and, and enjoy some time with, with the fellows, um, I think is always good. Whereas if you start at seven and you're done by 10, the kids really just go to sleep at that point. So um, I think for everybody, it's just a better experience. All right, Greg. So Christopher Newport, has a men's basketball national title obviously already in hand. They brought back Walnut and Bronze. Maybe the women's basketball team will do that too. If not, they may bring back – if not, they would definitely bring back Walnut and Silver. Don't ask why it's Bronze. We just kind of called it that. Once upon a time, the CNU football program was capable of being talked about, not in that first level, but maybe edging on to that second tier in Division Three football and – you know, maybe CNU is on the way back to that as well. It could be. So, you know, last year, Christopher Newport, they start one and two. They lost to Averett and to Apprentice, and they won a touchdown-free game against Washington and Lee. And the captain's completely off the radar uh, after three weeks, right? Seven weeks later, Christopher Newport, they're in week 11 playing for a spot in the playoffs. Really kind of a remarkable turnaround uh, for that team. Once they settled in with the new coaching staff, they really played well in NJAC play and they had a chance to win it. Something that I think is achievable for a number of NJAC teams, including Christopher Newport, now in a in a post-Wesley era of this conference. Traditionally, we drop this podcast around midnight central time, sometimes midnight eastern time. So Paul Crowley, you may be one of the first people to be able to listen to it when it drops on March 31st. Your categories have become tiresome. You've got mail. Tiresome. Time for the mailbag. Obviously, notes can come to us many ways these days. Our friends over at D3Hoops, which is to say primarily me, are going to have to pay to keep that little blue check mark here over the course of the next couple of days on Twitter. D3 football on Twitter has never been verified for whatever reason, but you can still tweet us there. And that is what Travis McGuire, who is at Travis J. McGuire. That's McGuire with a U for those of you keeping track at home and want to look up these tweets. They really do exist. He asks, now that schedules are being released, what games are most intriguing? 
obviously, Greg, there's a ton of conference games that are intriguing. There's a ton of existing games that were played last year that are in, you know, whatever year two of a contract or year four or whatever that are also intriguing this year. But always this year, especially last year, especially a lot of new games on the docket. And, you know, I'll be going to a couple of those to start off. I'll start off with these as games that I'm really intrigued by. Trinity, Texas coming up to St. John's and then Mary Hard Baylor going to Trinity. That is the first two weeks of the Division Three football season for your Trinity University Tigers and head coach Jeremy Urban. It is. Then you're going to have, we talked earlier about uh, Wisconsin Whitewater and John Carroll. They're playing in week one. We're going to see Delaware Valley play Cortland. I think that's a really, that's a really fun region one, region two game, right? Uh, Wisconsin Oshkosh playing Wheaton. Uh, that's a really good game. And thank you. Thank you to Wheaton or anybody to, for scheduling a game with Oshkosh. I would also say this is Wheaton stepping up, right? This is a new head coach. You know, went to Trinity last year, going to Oshkosh this year. This is a new coach who is clearly looking to schedule differently. It is, and it paid off for them. They they did not win that game that they went down to play at Trinity last year. They did not win their conference. They lost to North Central in the CCIW. Eight and two, but with a strong strength of schedule and good results against ranked opponents, Wheaton was selected to the tournament. So there there is some evidence here that at least the the most recent selection committee of the national committee looked favorably upon those kinds of scheduling decisions. One of the other things on this year's schedule that I'm really intrigued by is Carlton scheduling up a little bit. Carlton started off last year pretty famously scheduling some fairly non-competitive Division Three football programs and had us kind of basically wondering all the way into the end of October how good they really were. Taking just a little bit of a step up, they're going to head out your way and they're going to play Pomona Pitzer. Absolutely. Coming off a playoff season, Pomona Pitzer, that's a really fun game between two institutions that are really uh, quite similar. Uh, and so it's fun to get those kinds of interregional games against peer-type institutions with similar focuses and uh, philosophies. Christopher Newport plays Johns Hopkins. That was mentioned earlier here in this podcast. And there will be a lot of games between the Centennial and the New Jersey Athletic Conference this year. Um, and then, you know, one other, we're just going to go back to the Mary Harden Baylor schedule for a hot second. Mary Harden Baylor is going to play UW River Falls. Your non-conference games, if you're Mary Harden Baylor and you have two of them this year, right? That is Trinity of Texas and UW River Falls. That's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty impressive start to the season for them as well. Yes, it is. And, you know, UMHB is another team that has really accepted that that kind of challenge to schedule really aggressively and you know trinity river falls and wisconsin whitewater for umhb that's you know right <laughs> yeah how did i forgot the umhb uw whitewater game because they played it last year that means it's not important i get that yes i understand that's my own artificial restrictions on the answer to this question uh tripping me up well well struck. Good point. Third non-conference game for UMHB is none other than UW-Whitewater. So I think, you know, that's a pretty extensive list uh, of games. We really geeked out last year in the first three, four weeks of the season about these kinds of games, and we're getting them again this fall. I, I hope that the results 
play out. Similarly, last season, the games were as exciting as the matchups. And I hope we get a similar uh, set of results and Saturdays this uh, September. Thanks for your tweet. If you want to tweet us or message us and get a question on the next podcast, which, you know, if history serves, will probably be on or around April 29th or April 30th. You can do so by keeping an eye out on Twitter for that tweet from at D3 football, because it seems like Twitter will probably still be here a month from now. And if not, you'll be hearing about our discord channel and our Mastodon instance and you know, maybe we'll do more on Facebook. I'm not sure. And this was Around the Nation podcast number 328, released on March 31st, 2023. Thanks for listening. And keep an eye out for our continuing coverage throughout the rest of this offseason. You can support production of this podcast and the D3Sports.com family of websites by visiting patreon.com slash D3Sports. But even if you can't afford to support us financially, you can help us out by telling a friend, tell a classmate, Tell a fellow alum of your school about this show. Tell the parents in your parents' group. Tell the people who you would be tailgating with if it were August 31st or September 1st or September 2nd. And you can rate and review us in the various places where people rate and review podcasts. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? You can join the conversation by registering to post at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks as well. This is one of them right here. And you can find them at djmentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks to Greg Thomas, my co-host. Thanks to the originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com, Keith McMillan. I haven't booked the flight yet, but I am so going to be in San Antonio for that game. You're going to get good football. I know that. You're going to get good Tex-Mex or good barbecue? Absolutely. You're going to get good food. That's a great... That is a great choice for a game. That's a good use of time and a weekend to really, you know, go down to San Antonio, see the sort of see the new newly renovated trinity tiger stadium yeah and uh some top quality division three football and of course barbecue or tex-mex is there a way to combine them now that's what i'm wondering right there's some big sampler plate something like that you know if you maybe if you reach out to coach urban early enough and get that ball rolling soon maybe he can arrange to to make sure that the the pat coleman suite has has a proper spread <laughs> whoa whoa i do not have a writer or even a contract basically in any of these things i was thinking too i mean uh since mary hart and baylor is in this game mary hart and baylor men's basketball coach cliff carroll has just been talking for years and years about what a barbecue aficionado he is also apparently has a winery grows grapes or his brother has a winery and they grow grapes together i am really looking forward to that at some point i just don't know if that would travel down to san antonio for a football game coming from the men's basketball coach yeah i mean you know you get if you can get cliff carroll to uh is, is cliff carroll bringing wine to you or are you going to visit the winery and then travel with some bottles back 
These are great questions that I have still about five months to try to sort out. We need to put up a D3 Eats hashtag and start using that. It's a new, new weekly feature, D3 Eats. We're gonna we're gonna use a big chunk of that of that podcast talking about Cliff Carroll's wine and barbecue. I think it's probably a whole special. It's a whole separate podcast, Greg. Oh, does it get like a like a a different number? Is it out of the sequence? Just kind of flipping forward to what week two of the season would be like. That's gonna be somewhere around podcast three thirty eight, something like that. I don't know. You know, what doesn't get a separate number in the podcast feed is the bonus content that goes to Patreon subscribers. And we have some bonus content out there this week as well. So if you didn't get enough from Jace Rindle, Jeff Behrman, or Paul Crowley, we will talk more about that in a bonus pod. Join us on Patreon for that. And Pat, don't edit out a whole bunch so that you can be right. <laughs> <laughs>